God takes spirits with him. And it's important for us just to make sure that we always, in the midst of ownership, which Jesus doesn't say we shouldn't own things. He doesn't say that at all. In the midst of ownership, we should still maintain a pilgrim mindset, that our hearts are set on pilgrimage, that we realize we're just passing through. It's hard to remember that when we die, all the stuff we have will stay behind. We get so used to having ownership of things that we don't think about what happens to them after we die. In his teaching today, Pastor Daniel will remind us that this earth isn't our final destination. There are two existences beyond death. We will be a part of one or the other. While God wants you to experience his blessings while on earth, there's more to come after this. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis chapter 23 as he begins his message, Sarah and Rebecca. All right, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Genesis, very first book in your Bible. So just open the front cover and you are there. Chapter 23, as we pick up our study that we're calling Patriarchs. Now, we're going to see chapter 23 and 24. And in a lot of ways, these two chapters are all about transition. That's what they're about. Because we're going to be seeing, of course, in chapter 23, the death of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And then in chapter 24, we are going to be seeing that Abraham realizes that he's old and advanced in years, and it's time for him to go and get a bride for his son Isaac, because this whole section is about the move from Abraham as the initial patriarch to Isaac as the next in line, the next in the chosen lineage. And you know, you can imagine in transition, as you even think about our own country, you can imagine how terrifying it was for that great generation, the generation of World War II, when they thought about, man, we're going to actually give over the reins of our country and our nation to those hippie kids. And they thought to themselves, you know, we got to be out of our minds, you know. But somehow those hippies became boomers. And the boomers are now getting on in years, and they're thinking to themselves, are we really going to try and give over the reins of our country and our company to those Gen Xers, those millennials, who are really better at playing video games than anything else? But the reality is, is that God is God, and life goes on. And in the end of the day, God used Abraham despite Abraham. And we're going to see that God's going to use Isaac despite Isaac. And eventually he's going to end up with Jacob, the heel catcher, the schemer. And guess what? God's going to use Jacob despite Jacob. You know, even I think about that in regards to an election that's coming up. God's preservation of our country, it's despite all the different organizations, Republican or Democrat. 
The only reason our country is where it's at is by the grace of God, despite everybody. That's the way God rolls. And it's actually quite an exciting thing when you think about it, that you know what? God has got things under control. God's got it. God's not concerned. God's not freaked out. And that's what this section is about. It's a transition section from Abraham as the main focus to now we're moving to Isaac. So let's just jump right in. Chapter 23 in Genesis, verse 1, begins here. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. It's amazing sometimes how brief the Bible can be about things. We get that Sarah died. We get her age. She was 127, if you recall. When Isaac was born, she was 90. So she had gotten to see the son that she had waited for for so long to grow up to be about 37 years old. And it was time for Sarah to go the way of all the earth. It was her earthly journey was done. And it tells us where she died in Kirjath Arba, which was in Hebron, the land of Canaan. And it's fascinating that this verse 2 ends with, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And I thought to myself, you know, that's an interesting thing to have inspired in the Bible. And it made me think, of course, about John chapter 11, verse 35. When Lazarus died, the shortest verse in your Bible, two words, Jesus wept. I felt I wanted to take a second just to make the point that weeping or crying is not unspiritual. I think sometimes in Christian churches, we hit this point where we know that someone who loved the Lord, when they die, is going to go be with the Lord. And it's kind of like, yeah, you know, you have cancer. Yay! You're going to go be with Jesus. And that always kind of strikes me as kind of inhuman. Because the reality is, is that is true. When we do die, we go to be with Jesus. But if we really love people, then we're going to miss them. And when someone's going to be no longer with us, weeping is pretty appropriate. You know, and I think sometimes we want to be more spiritual than Jesus. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb, and he knew that he was going to raise him from the dead on that very day. So before Jesus even raised Lazarus from the dead, knowing he was going to do it, he wept with them because they were weeping. And the Bible teaches us that we should weep with those who weep. And so I love this about Abraham, really. He's a super cool patriarch. He's not, you know, the average American male. Never let him see you sweat. Don't let him see you emotional. Choke back those tears. This is the great patriarch. And he's weeping because he lost his wife. And I thought to myself, you know, that's kind of a cool thing, isn't it? Abraham, like Jesus, weeping at the reality of death. Now, in verse 3, look at what happens. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead 
and spoke to the sons of Heath, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heath answered Abraham, saying to him, verse 6, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heath. So think about this. Sarah has died. He is in the land of Canaan. Remember that Abraham had been promised that land, but yet had not come into possession of it. So he's there. His wife has died. He wants to bury her. And he says to them, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. He says, can I have a place to bury those of my offspring who are dying, beginning with his wife? Now, it's interesting that although Abraham was living and he had been alive for a long time, and although he was in a place that God had promised him the land, he still says, I'm a visitor and foreigner. And I think it's important for us as people who follow Jesus to realize that we are pilgrims here. Although we hang our hats on properties that have our names on the deed, we are really just passing through here. And I think that's an important reality for us to keep in mind, that this is our temporary dwelling. Like Jesus, we are tabernacling in these bodies for right now, but this is not our permanent abode. We're passing through. You can go so far as say, we're on vacation on this side of eternity. It's important to remember that because oftentimes our biggest issues in life have to do with the stuff of this sojourn, the material things. And I have nothing against material things. I'm, I'm sure you're all quite happy that I'm wearing clothes right now and looking pretty styly at that, you know, or I think so at least, and, you know, or my wife does, and, you know, but the reality is, is that having things aren't bad. The problem is when our things become more than things. When the things that we own are more important than the things of God. That when we value things more than people. See, people are of eternal value to God. Things will stay here. But God takes spirits with him. And it's important for us just to make sure that we always, in the midst of ownership, which Jesus doesn't say we shouldn't own things. He doesn't say that at all. In the midst of ownership, we should still maintain a pilgrim mindset, that our hearts are set on pilgrimage, that we realize we're just passing through. So he asked the sons of Heath, he says, look, I'm a pilgrim here. I'm a foreigner. I'm just passing through here. And I like what they say to him because they say, hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Wow. Talk about being a good witness. It's interesting, that word mighty prince, the word mighty is the Hebrew word Elohim, which literally some translations have, you are a prince of God among us. And would to God that you and I would be that kind of witness with the people that we're around. That the way we carry ourselves reflects the testimony that we hold. That when we talk to people, they're like, listen, man, you're a child of God in our midst. Maybe they won't use those words. I remember when I was in the Bay Area, people would say to me, man, there's this like shiny aura around you. 
If you would say that, I'm like, man, I know that's Bay Area speak that I got the Spirit of God in me, you know? I'd say, I'm like, oh, that's so kind of you, you know? I just follow Jesus. I don't want to make a big, I'm like, oh, yeah, what color am I? What color is my aura today? Is amber the color of my energy? Let you 311 fans understand. You're like, I was like, what? But the reality is, is would to God that people in relating to us, the people who see us every day, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people that we live near, the people that we see when we go shopping, that these people would think to themselves, man, this is a child of God. There's just something different. There is that quality about them. There's that salt of the earthness about who they are. Abraham had that. So he says, I'm a foreigner. Let me bury my dad. And they say, listen, you're a prince of God. You're a mighty guy amongst us. Choose the land that you want. We won't withhold it from you. Now, what's interesting is that the rest of this chapter, and I'm going to read it, is what I would call old school Near Eastern bargaining. That's what we're going to see. We're going to see the way that in that day people made transactions. And it's interesting that we get this whole breakdown of it. It's a whole chapter of how this thing's rolling. So look at what happens. It's very, very cool. It says in verse 7, Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heath. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah which he has, which is at the end of his field, let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heath, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heath, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of the people. I give it to you, bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. Now, what's going on here is this is the way they negotiated in that day. They said, listen, you can have the land. Abraham said, thank you very much. This is the land I want. It's interesting that Abraham knew what he wanted. He knew he wanted Ephraim's, the Hittite's cave on the edge of his field, the cave of Machpelah. He had already noticed it. He's like, hey, that would be a great place. So he says, listen, let's go get Ephron, the Hittite. We'll talk to him. And all the men of the city are there. And the dance begins. Abraham bows himself down to the ground. Hey, I would like your cave. Ephron, the Hittite's like, well, listen, great. I'll give it to you. Take it. That's what he's saying. Take it. He even says, it's worth 400 shekels, but take it. Now, in America, someone would be like, thank you very much, and I'll take it for free. That's the way Americans roll, but not in the Near East. They didn't roll that way. This is the way he did it, saying, I want this land. Oh, you can have it for free. He wasn't really giving. He's like, it's worth this much, but I'll give it to you for free. But notice how Abraham responds to all this. Then Abraham listened to Ephron. This is verse 16. And Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heath, 400 shekels of silver, the currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, 
which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heath, before all who went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heath as property for a burial place. Now, it's interesting here because I don't know about you, when I read this, and I remember the first time I read my Bible, I thought, to myself, why are we taking a chapter on this whole thing? Do you ever wonder that? Like, so what's the big deal? I mean, so he wants to buy the land. They go through this whole song and dance. The guy says, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. But it's worth 400 shekels of silver. And Abraham's like, okay, wait, is that the 400 shekels? And then they go on and on over and over again that the land was deeded to Abraham. And you say to yourself, what's the big deal about all this, right? Why is this in here? I mean, we just saw Abraham almost sacrificing his son. And we see, this is all about Jesus. And then you hear this whole story and you think to yourself, are you kidding me? Why is this in there? Let me explain to you why it's in there. Do you remember when God called Abraham, he promised him in effect three things, that I will be your God and you will be my people. And we've been seeing this now for 11 chapters. Second, he said, I will bless you and in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Right? And we saw that God blessed Abraham and Sarah with a son named Isaac. Now the third part of that was I'm going to give you a land. And this is the very first time now Abraham comes into possession, not of the totality of the promise, but the beginning of the promise. He just bought his first piece of property in the land that God had promised him. That's why this is important. You might say, well, listen, the whole thing being God, cool. Having the seed, cool. What's the big deal about the land? Because the eternal God who loves humanity realizes that in our sojourn here, making a life is not a bad thing. And God is faithful to that. God is faithful to help his people make a life. Now, does that mean that we all deserve 30 acres and a mansion? No. What it means is that God has promised to help you make a life. I joked with myself and just with myself about calling this message, get a life. I mean, it's kind of like obnoxious way to say it, but the reality is, is that God is interested in us making life, having a life in him. And God is faithful unto that end. It never looks the way We imagined it. Do you think Abraham, back in Genesis 12, when God promised him a land, did he think, yeah, I'm going to get my land, but when my wife dies? Do you think that was on his five-year plan? Like, God promised me a land. It's going to be great. I'm going to have a great spread. I'm going to have fig orchards and olive orchards, and I'm going to have all this irrigation. You can imagine the plans that Abraham has, but the very first time he finally gets a piece of land in the promised land that God had told him, it's when his wife died. And it costs 400 shekels of silver. See, God is faithful to his promise. God's faithful. Oftentimes, God's faithfulness, we think he's unfaithful because we're expecting things God never promised in the first place. But God is faithful to Abraham. Now, as we move into chapter 24, it's not by chance. In chapter 23, 
We see the first matriarch, Sarah, dying. And in chapter 24, we see Isaac getting a bride. That's why this is in here. We're seeing the transition from Abraham and Sarah now to Isaac and Rebekah. And what's fascinating is this is one of the longest chapters in the book of Genesis. They take 67 verses to explain the story. And it's interesting that oftentimes when you read it, you think to yourself, why is this so long? I mean, couldn't we tell the story in 30 verses? But I have come to a settled belief that when the Holy Spirit decides that we need a lot of information about something, there's a reason for it. It needs to be this way in order for us to understand the things that God wants us to understand. And it's all about seeing Isaac and Rebekah as the next in line. It's also interesting that the overarching story is we see Rebekah as another Abraham who is leaving the family of Terah and moving to where God has promised to place the lineage of Abraham. So in some ways, Rebekah is functioning as a second Abraham who is being summoned by God to a new life in a new place under the blessings of God. So let's jump right in. Verse 1 of chapter 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh. And we all say, huh? Can you imagine that? I didn't call you in my office. Here, put your hand under my thigh. And everyone would be calling the police. <laughs> I promise I won't do that. I was like, I'm not making an appointment with Pastor Daniel. Forget this. I'm sorry, pray for me. I have mental problems. <laughs> Abraham calls his oldest servant. Most people would say, although he's not named here, that this is Eliezer of Damascus. We had heard about Eliezer of Damascus previously because in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham says to the Lord, Oh Lord God, what will you give me since I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So Eliezer of Damascus was the head of his home the number two guy in the house. And so most people would believe that this is Eliezer of Damascus. So Abraham calls the servant and he says, please put your hand under my thigh. Now, I mean, I laugh because it's totally weird, but this was a Near Eastern custom. We see it again in Genesis chapter 47. They call it the bodily oath. And the significance of the hip the idea is under your leg. That's where your power is. So by putting your hand under their thigh, you're saying, look, by all of your vital power, I'm going to do this. Jesus is real. An important point that Pastor Daniel made was that no matter what you might own or possess, we, just like Abraham when he was in Canaan, are only traveling through this planet. We were shown Abraham's humility in that although he owned lots of stuff, he didn't get arrogant about it. He understood that everything he'd been given was a gift from God and that he was only a steward of it all. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy 
And the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at jesusisrealradio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel introduces us to Rebecca. Prior to that happening, though, you're going to see the faithfulness of Abraham's servant to carry out his master's wishes. You'll also learn of the servant's trust in Abraham's God and God's dependability to answer the servant's prayer. You're also going to see the instant obedience of Rebecca, which was much like that of her future father-in-law, Abraham. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.